Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Friday afternoon edition of the Truth Hurts program, October 22nd, 2021. Here's some news for you. According to an article in The Hill, Aris Folly writes, The U.S. deficit hit $2.8 trillion, the second largest in history. Treasury Department ancient Janet Yellen said the federal deficit reached $2.8 trillion in fiscal 2021, the largest, second largest, rather, deficit in history. It's down $360 billion from the year before. The last year, the deficit rose to $3.1 trillion, according to the ancient Janet Yellen. And it was associated with all the money that was printed up due to the Wuhan, China novel coronavirus pandemic. And instead of taking measures to control and cut costs, the Biden administration and the Democrats want to raise taxes, print more money, and of course, spend more in deficit. Trillions more. What a joke. Let's see what else we got here in the news today. NBC News writes, North Korea's missile tests prove it's time for Biden to think about the unthinkable. Bennett Ramberg writes, the North Korean recent flurry of ballistic missile launches makes it clear that even though Donald Trump had little rocket man under control, Biden is a joke. No one respects him. The Biden administration's ill-defined calibrated approach looks unlikely to move the nuclear elimination needle over in Pyongyang. And it looks like the little rocket man is flipping the bird at Joe Biden. Let's see what happens. Hopefully, it's not a real nuclear strike on one of our allies or, heaven forbid, one of our own territories. Washington Examiner says Rand Paul was right. Anthony Fauci is a liar. Beckett Adams writes, Dr. Anthony Fauci is a damned liar. I'll take my word for it. Take the word of the National Institutes of Health which revealed this week the U.S. non-governmental group EcoHealth Alliance violated its reporting rules while conducting bat coronavirus research in collaboration with the Wuhan China Institute of Virology. Long and short of it is, a federally funded nonprofit did conduct gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, something that Anthony Fauci vehemently denied stood there and told Rand Paul he was a liar. Well, guess whose pants are on fire, little Anthony Fucci? The federal health officials, most notably NIH and National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Director Anthony Fauci, assured everyone that it was a preposterous falsehood that this happened in the Wuhan lab or that gain-of-function research was being conducted there. The National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases funneled some 600000 of your tax dollars directly to that Wuhan Institute of Virology when Dr. Anthony Fauci served as the agency's director. EcoHealth provided a five-year progress report on bat coronavirus research conducted under an NIH grant. NIH Deputy Director Lawrence Tabak revealed this week in a letter that was reality. He added that the limited experiment described in the final progress report was testing if spike proteins from naturally occurring bat coronaviruses circulating in China were capable of binding to the human ACE2 receptor in a mouse model. For those of you who don't understand that technology, I'll break it down for you. They went searching for a coronavirus that they could transfer 
to humans. Coronavirus was not transferable to humans before they started screwing with the DNA sequence, the genome. In a separate NIH report, it said, quote, In this limited experiment, laboratory mice infected with the SHC-014 WIV-1 bat coronavirus became sicker than those infected with the WIV-1 bat coronavirus alone, adding that sometimes, as occurs in science, this was an unexpected result of the research as opposed to something that the researchers set out to do. EcoHealth failed to report this finding right away, as is required by the terms of their grant, and Anthony Fauci was in, in charge of the National Institutes of Health at the time. Bottom line, Fauci asserted under oath under penalty of imprisonment and fine and all the, the perils of law that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, he lied to Congress. Dr. Fauci, knowing it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement, Rand Paul said, citing a 2017 paper showing scientists in Wuhan specifically researching those bat coronavirus. Dr. Anthony Fauci looked directly at Senator Paul, then the camera, showboating for the media, and said, I've never lied to Congress. I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to, judged by qualified staff up and down the chain, is not being gain of function. Senator Paul then persisted, suggesting again that the doctor was playing at semantics and intentionally leading the misleading the public about the NIH ties to Wuhan, which have now come out as factual. You might also recall Dr. Fauci saying in response to Senator Paul, Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly, and I would like to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. Senator Paul at that time pushed back and accused Fauci of dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world. Fauci then said, I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator. It is molecularly impossible for the viruses described in the 2017 paper to have caused COVID-19. Rand Paul said, no one's trying to say those viruses caused the pandemic. What we're alleging is that gain-of-function research was going on in that lab and that NIH funded it. You can't get away from it. It meets your definition of gain-of-function research and you are obfuscating the truth. Fauci on the defensive then said, I'm not obfuscating the truth. You're the one. You're implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individuals. I totally resent that. If anybody's lying here, Senator, it is you. Well, guess what? It was not Senator Paul. It was the little weasel, the little bat virus sucker himself, Anthony Fauci. Fauci told the Senate back in May, I do not have an accounting of what the Chinese may have done. I am fully in favor of any further investigation of what went on in China. I, however, will repeat again, NIH and NAIAD categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Well, somebody's lying, and it's you, Dr. Fauci. Compare those statements that Fauci made to those of the National Institutes of Health that were revealed this week. The usual saying is if someone is capable of lying about the little things... They're also lying about the big things. When it comes to Fauci, we're a long way from just lying about little things. He graduated to telling those big lies a long, long time ago, and millions and millions of human beings around the world have died because he lied. 
Speaking of people who died, Alec Baldwin, the actor, the very liberal, clueless, progressive hack, fired what was supposed to be a prop gun, and it killed one director and one assistant director on the set of a movie that he is the executive producer on and star of. Let's take a look back real quick at the names that were lost in 2021. Cinematographer Halina Hutchins, 42, died, and director Joel Souza was wounded on the New Mexico set of the independent Western film Rust yesterday on the 21st of October. They were shot when a prop firearm was discharged by actor Alec Baldwin on location at the Bonanza Creek Ranch outside Santa Fe. No charges have been filed, but they should be. It's an accidental shooting, Mr. Baldwin, or did you just not agree with the director and assistant director? We may never know. If charges aren't filed, no investigation will be held, right? Halino is a native of the Ukraine. She was transported by helicopter to New Mexico University Hospital in Albuquerque, where she died, according to sheriff's office statements. The assistant director was taken by ambulance to another hospital and was released. Wow. But Alec Baldwin is a flaming liberal, so he'll probably literally get away with murder. Had this been a black African American 13% hyphenated American minority? And had the actor been, let's say, a conservative Christian white male, a Republican? They'd be calling this a hate crime. They'd be wanting him charged with murder. What a shame. Meanwhile, in Slidell, Louisiana, this is no joke, the Slidell Police Department has been forced to resurrect the dead. They've had to pull a bunch of old Crown Victoria police cars out of their storage and kind of piece them together for use on the streets because they had some lost during the year to accidents and fires and Hurricane Ida, of course. The police department recently posted a picture of an old Crown Victoria saying that it had to rise from the dead due to police vehicle shortages. According to their public information officer, Slidell police had ordered vehicles from Chevy, Ford, and Dodge throughout the year, and they still hadn't received them. And then he said the automakers that we just mentioned are not even accepting orders for the 2022 model year because of the microchip shortage. Had Joe Biden continued in Donald Trump's positive economic path, we might have microchips being produced here in the United States now. But gropey Joe Biden doesn't know how to run an economy other than into the ground. I know this starts to get old after a while, but it's time to do a little Joe Biden bashing. Biden says police officers and emergency workers who refuse COVID-19 vaccinations should stay home or be fired. He said this during the pre-scripted, teleprompter-laden, so-called CNN town hall with Gaiman Anderson Cooper. Yes and yes, he said, to what they describe as a thunderous round of applause by the very well-chosen audience. Only liberals, only progressives, only Democrats allowed in that audience. He says, by the way, I waited till July to talk about mandating because I tried everything else possible. Then he said mandates are working. The U.S. has lagged behind other wealthy nations in vaccinating people against the Wuhan China flu. A series of mandates for federal workers and for companies with more than 100 staff members triggered angry protests and reports of people being fired or resigning in protest. Hours before this so-called town hall, Republican senators wrote to the White House demanding that Biden back down from this mandate. Biden delivered a furious response, ridiculing those who argued that the mandates were an infringement of their freedom, condemning misinformation. 
Biden said, two things that concern me. One are those who just try to make this a political issue. Freedom. I have the freedom to kill you with my COVID. Come on, man, he said. Then he criticized what he called misinformation about the death of Colin Powell that focused on the fact that he was fully vaccinated. Of course, when it's convenient for Democrats to do so, they point out things like, we knew he had serious underlying conditions and his time was going to be difficult. He clearly would have gone earlier had he not gotten the vaccine. Dr. Joe Biden, is it? I thought your wife was a some kind of doctor. You're no doctor, Mr. Biden. You can barely tie your own shoes. Earlier, he was quizzed on his plans for the multi-trillion dollar social spending plan, which is deadlocked in D.C. Progressives want to push through that massive overhaul of social spending. Meanwhile, Cinema and Mansion, two Democrats, are pushing to reduce the price tag from its original three and a half trillion down to about one and three quarters trillion or less. Biden says he's offered the centrists a concession. He even backed away from the corporate tax hike, he claims, for his Build Back Better agenda. He didn't back away. Kirsten Sinema said, if you try to run it through, I'm going to vote against it. So he had no choice but to tell Chuckles the Clown Schumer to pull it out. The event in front of an invited audience in Baltimore, not a public audience, an invited hand-picked audience who loves them some Uncle Joe, was a chance for him to deliver his message to the nine or ten CNN viewers that still exist on planet Earth. Host Gaiman, Anderson Cooper, pressed him on whether he would be able to push through the proposed increase in the corporate tax to help fund trillions of dollars in new spending. He said, no, I don't think we're going to be able to get the votes on this. His plan called for an increase from the corporate tax rate of 21% to 28%, triggering warnings that it will hamper growth and that costs will have no choice but to be passed on to workers and consumers in the middle of an already spiraling out of control inflation rate. He says, I'm prepared to do the things we can get done now. Begin to change the lives of ordinary Americans. Give them a fighting chance. Come back, try and get the others later. He seeks a final agreement, hopefully in the next few days. Hopefully for him. I hope this thing drags on and on and on. He says he has also had to reduce his vision for the paid parental leave. He says it's down to four weeks. I can't get 12 weeks. By the way, gropey Joe Biden has only conducted 10 interviews in his entire 10 months in the White House. That's right. January 21st, he takes the oath. We are now at October 22nd, 10 full months. And look at the state of our country. The economy's in the toilet. Unemployment sucks. The employment participation rate is horrendous. Inflation is through the roof. Fuel prices, and not to mention empty shelves, Joe. His so-called social spending plan, by the way, is deadlocked between the progressives who want three and a half trillion and some moderates, including Cinema and Manchin, who want it to be about a trillion and a half. Still way too much if you ask me. Here's the deal. Joe Biden, in 10 months, has conducted 10 interviews. Don't you think he should be answering the questions of the people? Of those 10 interviews, by the way, I think more than half of them were scripted teleprompter events in which he maybe answered one or two questions from a cue card that had the names and pictures of the reporters he was told to call on by his handlers. For a clown who said he was going to be the most transparent president, he sure did lie about that one. He also said, look, I was a senator for 370 years, triggering laughter. I don't know if he was joking or not. He maybe thinks he was for 370 years. He pushed back at proposals that parents and other caregivers would have to meet the work requirement before receiving a child tax credit. He said, no, here's the deal. All these people are working anyway. No, they're not. 
Many of them are sitting home, waiting on their next welfare check, sending their kids to school and then government paid daycare. They're not working. They're not paying taxes. Why the hell should they be getting a tax credit? He says, and by the way, you know, why should somebody who's not working and has, you know, let's say makes a million dollar trust fund, why should they get the benefit? Let me ask you something, Gropey Joe. Other than your friends up there in the Northeast, how many average Americans have a million dollar trust fund waiting for them? Well, we know your son Hunter has one, and he's a coke addict. Biden gave just 10 interviews in his first nine months in office, well, well short of the two immediate predecessors, Donald Trump and Barack Hussein Barry Sotero Obama. Donald Trump and Obama together did just shy of 200. The pace of the interviews has also slowed. Five of Biden's so-called interviews came in the first two months in office. Critics in his own party see that the president is having mental issues as he reaches these crucial moments in trying to steer a massive spending plan through Congress. One Democratic strategist who asked to speak on background in order to freely discuss White House strategy and the condition of anonymity said, the guy has always been a gaffe machine. He loves talking about people around him wanting to keep him under wraps. This is one way to do it, but you lose a bunch of credibility in the process. And all of his interviews and all of his town halls are always conducted by Democrat-friendly networks and Democrat-friendly hosts, Anderson Pooper being one of them. Remember, George Stepton Pooplis was the other. In fact, that last one-on-one -on -one interview was more than two full months ago when George Stepton Pupilis conducted it. And that interview was followed by days of fact-checking all of Joe Biden's lies, gaffes, and misleading claims from the number of Afghan troops to whether or not there were U.S. troops in Syria. The White House officials always play down the significance of interviews of Joe Biden, pointing out that the president has frequently taken a handful of questions from reporters attending other events. That gives Joe Biden the ability to pick and choose what he answers, say the observers. They allow him to simply walk away when they tell him to or when he wants to, or when he feels like he's totally confused. Thursday's town hall was held before an invited audience. Democrat strategist Jamal Simmons told The Hill, Joe Biden can sometimes get off message, so putting him in unscripted environments might not be the best way of Joe Biden communicating. Biden himself has even joked about the way his aides prefer him not to get too chatty. He said in August at FEMA headquarters to a meeting of government employees that was televised, I'm not supposed to take any questions, but go ahead. He quickly then brushed off a question about trouble in Afghanistan, got up and walked away from all the reporters. In May, he took a couple of questions after a COVID-19 update, but he says, I'm not supposed to be answering all these questions. You're not supposed to be, Joe Biden? I thought you were the president. I thought you were the decider. White House Press Secretary Little Red Walk It Back Girl Jen Psaki admitted this is how officials want him to play it. She told David Axelrod, the former Obama advisor, during an interview for his podcast, quote, This is not something we recommend. In fact, a lot of times we say, don't take questions. Republicans, of course, seize on this opportunity to use Biden's lack of interviews against him, saying the president lacks stamina or mental energy or fitness to fulfill the duties of the office. Many call him Sleepy Joe, but I can't get that stupid picture of him physically groping the the chest of a little eight-year-old girl in a red velvet dress when he was running for office or right after he became president. It was the creepiest thing I think I had seen all year. And I see lots of creepy things here on the Truth Hurts program. The battle over school boards, my friends, is a disaster for the Democrats, according to The Hill. Recent announcement by the Justice Department that the FBI will be looking for coordinated patterns of violence at local school board meetings is a broad overreach and an abuse of power that goes well beyond the FBI's jurisdiction. 
If the U.S. Justice Department under Gropey Joe Biden were serious about investigating coordinated violence in America, it should have examined the roles that Antifa followers and BLM rioters followed during those demonstrations in the summer of 2020 and on into the early stages of the Biden administration. Look, there's an aspect to the school board story that I believe has not been sufficiently recorded or reported. Local school boards could be a significant force in the 2021 and 2022 election cycle. By the way, a background in New York, particularly on Long Island, which has 100 school districts, school boards have historically been separate from partisan politics. But not anymore. The change to activism has begun since people are saying, you must wear a mask or you must have your children vaccinated. And some mothers just don't want to do that. And they have good reasons, scientific reasons. But you see, the sleeping giant was awakened. Parents and taxpayers are taking the traditional school board issues and controversies directly into the political arena. As parents continue to mobilize, they can expect to bring other child-related issues, such as school violence, real reverse racism, open borders, inability to buy Christmas toys thanks to Empty Shelves Joe, not to mention the massive cost increases in food, fuel, toys, clothing, and every other consumer good brought forward by gropey Joe Biden's piss-poor handling of our economy. They will drag those thoughts into the polls with them come November and next year in the midterms. A tightening governor's race in Virginia is now stirring concerns amongst Democrats who see the contrast as a barometer for Biden's political fortunes as he struggles to pass that massive multi-trillion dollar so-called social spending package. Democrat Terry McAuliffe is trying to buck historical trends in which the president's party has struggled in the state's governor's races, even as Americans grapple with the pandemic, high energy prices, supply chain backups, and all of the other screw-ups of the Biden administration. People close to the White House have expressed worries about whether the former Virginia governor, who's making a comeback bid, can defeat Republican Glenn Youngkin in the November 2nd election. Colliff and his allies hoped Congress would pass trillions of dollars in spending in the fall and give him some fresh achievement from the Democrat side to campaign upon. The only thing he has to campaign on regarding Biden is inflation, empty shelves, a failing policy on COVID, a disastrous foreign policy, and failed bill after failed bill from the Democrats. This should be a wake-up call, said Democrat strategist Mark Longabo. He advised Bernie Sanders' ill-fated 2016 presidential campaign, so who could really give a damn what he says? But anyway, Biden is planning on joining McCullough for a campaign event Tuesday night in Arlington, Virginia. I would love to hear the unedited transcript of Biden's remarks when that happens to see just how many gaffes Mr. Biden says and how he tries desperately to blame Donald Trump for his own disastrous presidency. This race will act as a test case for how Democrats fare in the first election since 2016 that doesn't prominently feature Donald Trump either on the ballot or sitting in the White House. Youngkin is a former Carlisle Group executive and political newcomer. His campaign pitch is public safety and the parents' role in what schools should teach. He's gotten Trump's endorsement, but he hasn't campaigned with Trump in the state where his backing could turn off some moderates. Trump did call in recently to a rally that Mr. Youngkin did not attend. A spokesman called Mr. McAuliffe's attempts to tie Mr. Youngkin to Trump as a last-ditch distraction, and that's exactly what it is. Five million dollars has been steered McAuliffe's way by the Democrat National Committee, a group he used to run. 
They invested nearly a million dollars more in advertising, events, and get-out-the-vote efforts aimed at helping McAuliffe, as well as a few down-ballot candidates. White House officials noted that gropey Joe Biden appeared alongside McAuliffe in July, after the end of the primaries, before the polls showed a tightening race. Democrats say the party hasn't been caught off guard by Youngkin's rise, pointing to the Commonwealth's history as an impediment to first-year presidents and the challenges of motivating voters in a non-presidential year. Let's just see what happens over in Virginia, shall we? Finally today, the Examiner, the Washington Examiner, says the vaccine mandate will have a catastrophic effect on jobs, according to a business group that warned the president. The business group representing wholesalers told Joe Biden that jobs will be lost if he follows through with requiring companies with federal contracts to have their employees vaccinated. Eric Hoplin is the president and CEO of the National Association of Wholesaler Distributors, and he laid out the case against the mandates and urged the president to back off his order in a three-page letter. He says if this contractor rule is implemented, thousands of workers will be laid off or fired, and the supply chain problems will grow far worse than they already are. That group urges the executive order's implementation be revised to avoid this calamity and to provide alternatives to promote safety, including testing, consider a short-term delay to provide more time to carry out changes, and to avoid further disruptions in the supply chain over the coming months. The business group represents more than 30,000 employers around the country, many of which provide products and services directly to the federal government. Hoplin said NAW and its member companies are not opposed to COVID-19 vaccines, and they're encouraging those employees to get inoculated that wish to do so. He said, though, there is a small segment of every workplace that refuses to get vaccinated, and people have good reason to not want to get vaccinated. The letter warned that if the executive order is implemented as written, thousands of valued employees will be forced out of their jobs shortly before the holidays, and that the already compromised supply chain will be under added pressure during the very busiest time of the year for wholesalers and retailers. The already tight labor market will make it immediately more difficult to replace laid off workers, and this will compound the supply chain disruption. Those supply chains are already in massive disarray thanks to gropey Joe Biden's economy. Oh, you can try and blame it on the coronavirus, folks, but that's bullshit. Dozens of ships have still been seen just anchored outside of ports. Why? Mainly because unions in California at those docks, up until gropey Joe Biden ordered them to make people work around the clock, were making their own rules. Dozens of ships sitting outside taking months of purchases to be delivered, warehouses overloaded or understaffed, or worse, empty and understaffed, thanks to empty shelves, Joe. The NAW contends that some of the workers who might quit because of the mandate are crucial to helping stymie the supply chain issues and that their departure will further exacerbate the problem just as the Christmas season is upon us. In that letter to gropey Joe Biden, representing some 30,000 plus businesses, Mr. Hoplin pointed out that the mandate will affect lower-income workers more than anyone else. They've reported that employees who said they will resist taking the vaccine are disproportionately minorities. Wait a minute. I thought the minorities were lining up right behind Gropey Joe's orders and bowing at his feet. The White House, of course, maintains that the mandate will not result in mass firings. The NAW and you and I both know better. They say it fears that employees will have no problem leaving to go work at another company. 4.3 million workers quit their jobs in August, 
And that, million, that figure is up by 4 million from July. Can you imagine? 8.3 million employees just simply walking away from their jobs in two months' time? Way to run an economy into the ground, Gropey Joe. This number of people quitting is the highest since the United States began keeping records of statistics two decades ago. It's equivalent to about 3% of the entire nation's workforce. Additionally, 20 million people have quit working since April, most likely because, well, under Gropey Joe Biden, you can get child tax credits. So a woman who was working for $10 an hour with five churins at home can now sit home, enjoy COVID boosts in unemployment. Of course, those wonderful stimulus checks that kept coming and coming. And now $300 per child in bonus money. If tens of thousands of employees are terminated three weeks before Christmas, including employees of the NAW companies, which ensure movement of products through the supply chain, the result will be nothing short of catastrophic for the newly unemployed and their families, as well as for the U.S. and world economy. Implementing the order is going to be disastrous any way you look at it. That's all the time we have for this edition of the Truth Hurts program. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll see you next time. This is the Truth Hurts program with Steve C. More truth than liberals can handle. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed are free speech protected under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Oh, thank you.